Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So I got the opportunity to fly for the first time since the virus started um, about two or three weeks ago. And I was in the airport, and um, I don't know, people are maybe extra anxious about flying. Um, just to let you know, the planes are really crowded. So in case, you're, in case you thought you were going to get the middle row off or something. I always thought they should, they should pay you to take the middle seat. I just think, they're like, this is so uncomfortable. Just you pay me and I will fly there. So anyway, um, so I was flying and I saw, you know, it, as soon as you get in the airport, you have to wear a mask and you wear it for the whole flight and then and whatever. So, so you do that thing. And I got, I got in the airport and I saw one person walking through and they had on a blue sort of surgical mask with another mask over it. So two masks and a visor. Now, they may, be, they may be like super immunocompromised, maybe terrified of being in crowds or whatever. I, I don't know. But I thought what, that is just a symbol of kind of where we're at. Like, if one mask was good, two is better. If two masks is good, two masks and a visor is even better. Like, where does this stop, right? I was like, man, we are really into making sure that any and every possibility of anything unsafe ever happening could happen. And I, and I get it. I mean, there's teachers right now who are having to go back into schools this week, and they're concerned. And I actually saw a product that even takes it to another level beyond the masks. Uh, I'll show it to you. It's called the BioVisor. These are for sale. They're real things. They're about $250, uh, and you can get one of these. And I read their website, and this is the way, this is from the website. Listen to what it says. It says, there was a time not too long ago when wearing a face mask in public seemed outright strange. The novel coronavirus seems to have shifted the Overton window. I had to look that up. You can look it up later. To a point where wearing a mask isn't a sign of paranoia. It's a sign of being a good, compliant, health-conscious, and caring citizen. People at Visor Technologies, however, realized that the mask, while it is a symbol of showing that you are a responsible citizen, wasn't entirely protective. Wearing a mask may keep your eyes vulnerable, and face shields still expose parts of your face and head where the virus could get onto before traveling to your hands and then your face after you took your mask off. The BioVisor just prevents any sort of microorganism from even making it to your torso in the first place. It protects your face, your beard if you have one like I do, and your hair. It's as simple to wear as a helmet, and unlike a mask and face shield, doesn't feel uncomfortable after hours of wearing. That's good. And I'm sure it doesn't look weird at all to wear that. Uh, it's made me not be, I, was, I saw that and I'm like, what in the name of Ridley Scott is happening in the world? This is Prometheus. This is like alien. What, like, what, what are we doing? Like those... Those dystopian futures are not supposed to come true. That's just fun fiction, right? Like, are we, are we doing this? Are we really going there? Um, what is going on? And, and I, I think in, in this country, and this is Chris's opinion, this is not like thus saith the Lord or, or whatever, but I, I think we are very much in danger of having an, an idolatrous relationship with safety and security. And when I say idolatrous, I mean uh, an idol, literally something that we hold up so, so powerful and so important is more important than God. It, it, it becomes first place in our lives. We have, we, we're, we're in danger of having an idolatrous relationship with safety and security. We, 
and, and it, it's amazing how much it shows up. You remember how we used to sign letters? We would sign them, sincerely yours, you know, love, you know, and then you put your name at the bottom. Now we sign them like, stay safe, stay safe. You hear it all over the place. It's in commercials, it's in, you know, stuff on the radio, just all, all these things. It's, hey, be safe out there. Everyone stay safe. Make sure you're safe. Hey, safety first. You know, all of these things. It's safety, if you came down from another planet and you looked at you'd be like wow these people really like safe it's really important they talk about it all the time it is a big big deal to us and in this country i mean really in the history of history we're like the safest most secure place in the history of the world it, like ever and yet we pray for and we're very concerned about safety and security now maybe you could say we're safe and secure because we pray for it all the time i don't know but it is like the biggest concern and it's like the biggest thing on our radar. And so I want to look at this a little bit today um, because I want to look at the, the questions as, as we, as we uh, we're having an election this week and, and kind of the way 2020 has been. We're asking some questions and we're thinking about some things right now around safety and around security. And we're asking questions like, is my family safe? Will, will I be secure? Um, what do I need to do to protect myself? Is the economy going to be okay? Will my, will my finances hold? Will my job, you know, th these are concerns that we have about safety and security. And we ask these, especially around election time, because there's a whole sort of media machine and a political machine that is designed to stoke your fear, right? It's designed to make you scared. It's designed to make you feel unsafe and insecure. Therefore, you will, you know, vote for this other person or whatever. Like, this is the way the, the system is set up. If I can make you feel unsafe, I can sell to you the cure for your feeling of being unsafe. This is the way the system works. And the truth is, the truth is, and I believe this, that, that nations come and go. That, that countries will rise and fall throughout history, and they will go through periods of peace and prosperity, and they will go through some down cycles of, of war and, and plague and famine and, and, and despair. And it's easy to sort of follow that as a nation and sort of go like, oh, are we in the prosperity time or is this the bad times and things were better then and things aren't as good now and that kind of thing. But I think for followers of Jesus, and I realize that's not everybody in the room or everybody watching online, for followers of Jesus, we believe that we are part of a different kingdom, that there's actually something else going on here. There's the nations that rise and fall, but then, then there's this thread throughout history of the people of God following God and living as citizens of another kingdom, that he's our king and, and we follow him. And so uh, because of that, because we believe that, it changes our relationship to the things that are here and now. It changes our relationship to things like money and power and, and politics and, and the nations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and it can also change our relationship to anxiety and fear because when you realize that at the end of the day, God's got your back, you tend to worry less about the things that are going on in the day. If you really realize it, not just here, but here, you internalize this thing and go, man, God really does have my back. Like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Things may happen that aren't my preference, for sure, but I'm going to be okay because God's got my back. Um, it, it changes things about you. Um, you. You can handle whatever the world throws at you. So I want to look at this. I want to look at this idea of, of security and how secure we feel. feel. And I want to look at it from the, from the scriptures. And I actually want to go kind of like high level here and look at the big picture around, around security. Um, are we ultimately secure? 
not just uh, this life, but beyond this life and in eternity, what does that relationship look like? Are we, are we good with God? Is he good with us? Are, are, what, um, what is the future going to hold? Because if we can answer some of that and we have a sense of our ultimate security, it will have an effect on how we live and breathe and, and move now and how we function uh, now. So Paul writes a letter to a church. It's the book of Romans in the New Testament. It's actually a letter to the church in Rome. And he, he, Paul was a church planter, one of the most uh, significant figures in the early church. He's kind of a missionary. He started churches around the Mediterranean. And um, he's going he's gonna, to, Romans chapter 8, which is where we're going to spend a chunk of time here, he's going to make a contrast here between um, what we believe in culture, sort of the kingdom of the world, which he calls like the flesh, and then life in the spirit, uh, people of the spirit who are following the spirit of God and, and the contrast there. And, and, and I want to start there and then, and then we'll go into like the different views on how secure we are in our relationship with God. In this series, Keeping It 100, we're talking about how to have a real relationship with God. And so if you set up a relationship with God, you enter into covenant with him, you, that kind of thing that we've been talking about for weeks, how secure is that? I want to get into that a little bit as well. So I want to start with Romans chapter 8, we'll look at verse 12. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says, you know what, there's something different about us, and he's talking to followers of Christ. There's something different about you guys. Um, you're, not, you're not playing the game by the way the world plays the game. You're not, you're not completely dialed into that, the, that world's system. And he says, you're no longer slaves to fear. We sang that this morning, right? And you're, you're, you don't have to give in to that. You're, you don't have to be enslaved by, by, this, by this anxiety. Why? Because you're so awesome. No, because he says, you've been adopted into the family of God. The picture of the gospel of you coming to Christ, getting baptized, giving your life to Christ, and following after him is a picture of adoption, that Jesus is the natural-born biological child, and then we get to get into the family as well. We get adopted in as well, and we get all the privileges of being part of the family of God. Um, that's, that's a powerful thing. Now, here's the question. Once you're in the family, when we talk about how secure that relationship is, once you're in the family of God, can you ever be cut out of it? Could you be disowned? If you're following Jesus, how secure are you in that spot? The ultimate question would be, people would ask is, if you die, are you going to go to heaven? And I bet if I pulled the room right now, I would get like percentages. You'd be like, if I die, am I going to heaven? I probably got a 75% chance. And other people are like, I don't know, I kind of blew it this week. I'm probably at 20%. Like, we kind of think there's this gauge going on of like, how secure are we in this relationship with God? Um, so followers of Jesus, there's this question about how secure you long-term, and then also, what does that do about your sense of safety and security, even in the here and now and in the life that, that we're in? So Paul's uh, teaching, it, it, he addresses some of this. When you talk about the issue of, um, am I secure with God, there are a lot of texts in the New Testament we could look at. 
There's a lot of stuff going on there that addresses that. Um, and, and actually, and I'll show you in a moment, some of them look contradictory. And so, act, so what has happened is over the last hundreds of years, people have argued the two points that I'm about to make back and forth really hard and said, no, it's this, it's this, it's this. And they've kind of taken sides because there are some scriptures that look pretty contradictory on this idea. But I want to stick to just what Paul says, and I actually want to pull it from Romans, two of the, the best uh, texts that show, does God have your back or not? Is the, once you're with God, are you, are you good to go forever or not? What, is, what does that mean? And scholars have had fits over these texts. Um, but there's basically two main views. One view says, uh, and if you, if you grew up Baptist or have Baptist in your background or maybe some Presbyterian, um, you, you might be familiar with this view that, that they call it once saved, always saved. Is the way they'll, maybe they'll articulate it. Say, once you come to Christ, give your life to him, you make the commitment, I'm with Jesus, you are that way forever and ever, amen. There's nothing that's gonna take you away from that. Once you're in the club, you're in the club. Once you're adopted in the family, you're in, and nothing will ever change that. That's, that is a view, and there's scriptures, and we will look at one, that seem to back that view up. There's another view that basically says, wait a second, you can fall away from God. You can become saved and then not be saved. You could be all on fire for Jesus and then not be. You could be in the family and then some, somehow out of the family. Uh, that's, so that's not called once saved, always saved. I don't know. It's called once saved and then good luck. I don't know. It's called some, some other, other thing. So the, those are the kind of the two main views. And I want to show you a text that supports each one and then we'll talk about why it matters and why it even matters this week. Um, as we get into it. So uh, one of the most encouraging ones, I, I love this one, also in the book of Romans and also in chapter eight, uh, uh, is, uh, and, and you know, one of the things I would love, not just the preacher in me, just, but just as a fellow believer like you guys are, like many of you are, I would love to encourage you to read this stuff. Uh, Romans eight is fantastic. Romans nine through 13 unfolds a whole argument that we're gonna talk about in a second, and it would be great if you went back and looked at that this week to get the full picture. But Romans eight, listen to what he says, starting with verse 35. This is on the once saved, always saved side of things, okay? Verse 35, he says this. Uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sounds pretty secure, doesn't it? Isn't that good news? He's saying, look, there's a whole bunch of bad stuff out there, persecution and famine and a novel coronavirus and there's an election and there's, there's just stuff. He didn't say all those things, but you know, it's the full list. There's a whole bunch of things external to you that can happen. And he says, these things will not, they, they cannot separate you from God. That's not going to happen. There's no force outside of you that's going to reach in and pull you outside of the family of God, um, that, that, that's not going to do it. And, and this, is, this is great. And he even goes on to say, there's no spiritual forces that will, that will separate you. He says, I am, I am sure of this. I am confident of this. There's no spiritual forces, no evil force that, 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 that can separate you from the love of God. Uh, so from the God side of things, you are secure. When you are in his hand, you are in his hand. 
and, 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 he, and he will hold on to you and he loves you and he is, and, and he is faithful to you. There's nothing on, on God's side of things where he's gonna be like, now I don't like you anymore. Like I'm not, I'm not in, um, he's not just gonna arbitrarily decide that. And that is a, that is a, a, a beautiful beautiful thing. And this has been good news for Christians all throughout history because Christians have had to navigate hard things. They've had to walk through some of the things listed on there and more. They've, they've dealt with mocking and ridicule and persecution and martyrdom and just really rough stuff throughout history. Christians have had to walk through these things and they have come out on the other side safe relatively. I mean, I guess martyrdom doesn't feel safe. When we die, it won't feel safe, of course, so safety can't be everything, but they, they've, they've walked through some things, and they've come out on the other side secure and, and with God. And so there's nothing that's going to happen to us externally that will make, us, that will make God love us any less. Um, and I want you to remember this as the stage is set this week for people to absolutely lose their minds. Remember this. Because there's nothing that's going to pull you from God. The, the, the most foundational relationships in the world, the most important relationships in the world, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, that, that's, that's first and foremost. There's no election that's going to change that. There's no rioting that's going to change that. There's no, you know, let me put someone on blast on all caps on social media that's going to change that. Um, that you, there, there's a security there. And so it would be easy for me to read that to you and say, okay, you're secure. God's got you, fam. God's got your back. No worries. Case closed. Mic drop. Let's all go home. And we would feel really good about that. Except that the New Testament also will say some other things about our security in our relationship with God. And I want to stay in the book of Romans. I want to go to Romans 11, and this one's going to need a little bit of setup. In Romans 9 through 13, Paul makes a, a case, and, and again, go back and read this and kind of start digging into what he's saying. Paul makes a case that to, to the Jews. He's Jewish, and they've been God's chosen people for millennia plus, right? And so in the first century, there's this Jesus thing happening, and Paul's on the Jesus bandwagon here. He's, he's in on Jesus. And the Jews are looking at that going, oh, he's advocating this new thing. And Paul's going, no, this is a continuation of what God has always been doing in the world. And for the Jews, the idea that you now come to God through Jesus was threatening because their relationship to God was through the laws, through the Torah, through the Old Testament scriptures. The idea of we are God's chosen people, we will follow the rules, and if we follow them well, God will be pleased with us. That's the way they knew the relationship to work, and that's the way they liked it. So when you come along and say, actually, it's not just for Jews. God is here for the Gentiles, too, for the non-Jews, people like you and I. If God is here for us, too, uh, that's a little bit threatening to the, to the Jews themselves. And Paul unpacks this argument for them and says, look, God is fulfilling his covenant. God is doing what, he, what he's done. He's doing what he, he has always planned on doing from the beginning. And you shouldn't be threatened by this. He's, he's doing his work, um, and, and, and he kind of explains it. I guess an example I could come up with is, and this is not a perfect example, but let's say you're a great basketball player, and you've been, you've been training, and you play, and you've got all your moves, and you've got your shot down, and you can score, and you can dribble really well. You, you're super good at basketball, 
that's awesome because when you go play in a game, you're a valuable player and people love you and you get the accolades and you win and all that kind of stuff. This is great, right? What if someone came along and said, okay, we're just going to make a little tweak to the rules in basketball. You can no longer use your hands. Now it's a foot game and you're going to have to get that ball up there into the basket. Now that sounds like impossible, but you can guarantee somebody would figure out how to do it and do it well. But the problem is you're like, no, no, I'm good at the old thing. Like, nobody's more threatened by that change than you. You're like, I'm good at the old thing. I was great at that. You just, like, cut my feet out from underneath me. You just took away the best thing I had, or basically cut my arms off of me, right? You took the best thing I had, and you just changed the rules. This is a little bit what it was like for the Jews in the first century who are going, no, no, we, have, we are the people of God. We have the rules. We have the, the laws. We have the prophets. We have all of that stuff. We are God's chosen. What? You're going to come along and change the rules and say, now everybody gets a pony, like, we had the ponies. Now, everybody gets one. Non-Jews get one. They don't have to be special like us. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to do all the things we did. You can see why that would be threatening to them. So Paul's going to make this argument over several chapters to go, no, this is God's plan. But listen to what he says um, to them. And he's writing to them as, as a Jewish man himself. And, he, and, and he's making this case. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 11, because he's going to really challenge them on this, um, and, oh, I got that thing where the page stuck together. Okay, Romans 11, uh, listen, listen to what he says, verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a, this is talking to Gentiles, you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, now we're talking about trees and stuff. Let me just go real quick here. Olive trees grow quickly. If you cut them down, new shoots start to sprout out of them, and they start forming new olive trees. There's a whole group in the Old Testament uh, from the exile called the new shoots. They were called the Netzorim from, I think it's Isaiah chapter 11, um, and they were eventually the Netzorim were called the Nazarenes, and founded the city of Nazareth. Jesus comes from that group, the new shoots. That's just a fun aside. Um, but you cut these trees back and new shoots would grow. This is, we would probably think of it like crepe myrtles. Uh, if you've seen crepe myrtles when they are trimmed back with, in the proper season, like they're these huge trees and then they get trimmed back to like a stump. Uh, they call it crepe murder. Have you ever seen those, right? They're trimmed way back because they grow quickly and, and the new shoots will grow out of them, right? Well, he's saying, look, Here's what's happened. To the Jewish tree, some of the branches were trimmed off and, and God made room for the Gentiles now to become part of the tree. And you Gentiles get to be grafted into that tree. You get to be in, in that tree as well. And don't be arrogant towards the Jews who were the founders of the tree, who were there at the beginning, the roots that nourished you. Uh, don't be arrogant towards them. But some of them have been cut off so that you could get in there. Why were they cut off? We'll get to that uh, in a second. Um, so continuing on, look at verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
So here again you see the centrality, and we've talked about this in weeks past, the centrality of faith. And not just faith of like mental assent and belief, but the kind of faith that takes action. The faith that has uh, loyalty, that has fidelity, those kind of ideas. It's, it's faith in action. It's I'm going, to, I'm going to take these actions because I believe, not just that I believe. And he says, you stand fast. He's calling these Gentiles, stand fast through faith. Because there was this unbelieving group that got cut off. They are no longer, they were in God's hand, but they're no longer in God's hand. And it's because they, they chose to disbelieve and they would not follow after Jesus. But you guys stand fast uh, through, through faith. You continue to show your loyalty. Now, when he says they're cut off, that does sound ominous, right? I mean, didn't we just read that nothing can separate us from God? I know you heard it because I just said it to you. You're like, Chris, you were just up there a minute ago going, hey, fam, God's got you. God's got your back. Nothing can separate you. You're going to be good. No matter what happens, you'll be fine. No one can pull you away from God. And yet this comes along and is like, actually, there's going to be some fools that are cut off. What if all of that is true? What if it's all true? What if it's no one, that when God's got you, he's not going to let you go. But what if it's also true that you could walk away? This is, because there's so much encouragement in the scripture to stand fast, be, be, be patient, persevere, hold on to your faith, do not ever give up. And those seem like contradictory ideas. God will never let you go unless he does. What? How, how, how's that work? Here, here's what I think is going on. And, and this is maybe the cleanest way I can say it. Once you are in God's hand, he will never let you go. But you're free to go on your own. You're free to walk away. This is not a perfect analogy, but this is one way I thought about it. With families, when you have children, there is a pretty powerful one-way love thing that kind of happens there. Not that your kids don't love you. They, they do. But... When you have wiped every orifice of theirs for years, it becomes a different relationship, right? You have a bond to them because you have, you have sacrificed for them. You have done for them for a long time. And so they're not going to repay that. They can't. And they can't ever know until maybe they have a kids their own what that's like. But you have poured into them for so much um, that, that you won't let them go. You won't tell them you're not part of the family. Maybe, maybe I mean, we, maybe, maybe you have that in your story, but for the most part, that, that, that doesn't happen much. Even, even serial killers have moms who love them, right? Who are like, oh, it's my baby. He got, he got a little sideways, right? They still love, in death row, you know, they still, they, they still have a mama who loves them because there's something very strong there. They, they won't let go. But I think it's true, and I think we've all seen it, it is very possible for a child to walk away from the family and say, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you guys anymore. And, and they can say, I, I, I disown you. you. You can call me family if you want, but I, I don't want you anymore. And I think we've all seen that. And, and that's not a perfect example, but I think there's something like that that, that can go on here. Um, God, our Father, loves us, but he gives us the free will of the opportunity that if we want to walk away, we can. So, what are the implications of this? Let me just give you four briefly and then we're done. Number one, if there is a distance between you and God, it is you that has moved. If you feel far from God, my guess is he's still there and he's constant and he's available, but you've, you've started to walk away. 
So how do you, how do you fix that? How do you get back close to God if you're in that situation? Well, actually, I think there's a, a good text for this. I sometimes use this in weddings because I think it applies to marital love, but it, it really is broader than that. Um, God writes to the churches in the book of Revelation to some churches in western Turkey, and he writes to the church in Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. He writes a letter to them, and he tells them that their love has grown cold, and he tells them how to rekindle that love. Um, and I think that's applicable for us today. Listen to this, Re- Revelations uh, chapter 2, 3 through 5. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So you see, you see repentance as part of it. So if you've wandered from God, maybe your first step is, hey, I, I wandered from God because I'm, I'm sinning. I'm actually going down a bad road, and I need to repent. And then do the things I did at first. The, the joy you had when you came to Christ, uh, maybe a, a commitment to read, to pray, to gather together with other believers, um, r- repent from walking away from that and, and come, come back together. Um, so often our circumstances drive our emotions and our emotions pull us away from God. Well, we need to change our actions and, 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 and repent and get back towards God um, and not be ruled by our emotions. Um, number two, choose faith over pride. This is from the text in Romans 11. It says, uh, it says, um, Basically, stand in faith, but don't be proud. And it says, then, and then it says, but fear. And I'm like, I thought we're not supposed to fear. Well, what it's saying is, because I, I would have loved it if it would say, if it, if the scripture had literally said, have faith and don't be afraid. It doesn't. It says, have faith and don't have pride, and then fear, but fear. Um, so the fear there that it's talking about is fear of the Lord, which is reverence, respect, awe, have fear of God. The only kind of fear we should have is just this fear of the Lord kind of idea. Um, and, and, and it actually makes a contrast between uh, faith and pride. And I think that actually makes sense because pride says, I've got this. Pride says, I'm in control. I handle my business. No one tells me what to do. I can do this. I can run this. I can manage this. I'm going to put my arms around this. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to make this money. I'm going to make this all work. That's pride. And then faith says, actually, God's got this. God's going to handle this. I don't have as much control as I think. I'm going to let him handle it. And so I, I do think those things are uh, opposed. And I understand how that lands on us emotionally because if I, if I was to stand up here and tell you, you got this, you go, girl, like that's empowering, right? That psychologically is empowering. We're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, got this. That's, a, that's an Instagram story waiting to happen, right? It's just like, man, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm powerful and I I've, I've got this. Uh, that feels good. I'm just going to go, go get it. But the problem with that is, if it's about you and what you can accomplish, you're kind of signing up for more slavery. You're signing up to grind. You're signing up when you say, it all depends on me. Guess what? It's all going to depend on you forever. And that's exhausting. And it's no way to live. So rather than that, we choose, we choose to live by faith. How liberating is it to cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you? How liberating is it to say, God, I, 
I don't have this. You got this. You, you handle this. We have an opportunity to choose that even this week as we, as we cast a, a, a vote in an election to go, um, to, to, to say, I'm going to vote and God's got this no matter what happens versus I'm going to control and it's really important that it works out exactly the way I want. We have a choice here to choose faith over that kind of pride. In fact, tomorrow night, we're going to gather together at 2810 right here at our property. We're going to gather tomorrow night at 7 o'clock for about an hour, hour and a half, and we're going to pray. And we're going to meet outside, and we're, we got fire pits, and we're going to meet out there, and we're going to pray. We're calling it before the throne. We're going to go before God and say, you are the true kingdom here. And no matter what happens in our country, we're going to pray for the, we want to pray that people love each other well, that, that God is in control over, over what happens, and that people don't hate their enemies and that kind of thing. We're going to gather tomorrow night to pray, and I'm inviting all of you to come. Whether you're watching online, if you're in the Richmond area, you're here right now, uh, join us tomorrow night to pray. I, I went to a discipleship conference two weeks ago, and uh, people are like, oh, what did you learn at the discipleship conference? We're like, well, what was like the big takeaway, you know, when you go to a conference or seminar? It was just good to go to something in person. And I was like, well, the big takeaway was to be a disciple of Jesus, you should read the Bible, fast, and pray. That hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. Like, there's not like, I don't have a cool, like, slogan or whatever. It's like, it is that again. Like, again, we're talking about that. And maybe that actually sounds new to you. Like, oh. We could so fast and pray. Yeah, okay, so we're going to pray tomorrow night because disciples do that. And I would actually challenge you to fast with me if you want. Um, I'm, I stopped eating last night. There was candy involved. There's a lot. Uh, I woke up this morning. I was like, I, I don't want to eat ever again. Uh, stop eating last night, and then I'm, I'm going to fast through the election, so I'm going to eat again on Wednesday morning. So if you want to join me in that and, and fast and pray and and. You'll, you'll find, if, if you do that, you'll find you'll, you'll be hungry, yes, but you'll also find a little more time, not in food prep, probably save some money, whatever, you, but you'll, you'll have an opportunity to fast and pray, to, to fast for these next couple of days. Join me in that. I'm going to be doing that till Wednesday morning. Um, you can do that with me if you want, but we are going to pray tomorrow night. Please come out and, and, and join us. Um, number three is this, hold these truths in tension. The idea that uh, God will not let you go, and the idea that, but if you want to, you can walk away, hold those things together. No one's going to pull you away, but you can freely step away. Um, the, the tension there matters, and it matters that we hold it. Um, I, I, if you've ever tried to put a new shower curtain up, you know that you have to go get one of those tension rods, and it's got that, you know, the ends where you like push them, and you're like cranking on them, and you just jam it up in there to get it just perfectly. And the truth is, the only reason those rods hold is because there's tension at both ends of the rod. That, that tension there is what holds it together. And I think some things in life are like that in our faith, um, that, that there's a tension there that actually is going to hold the thing together, that Jesus was fully man and fully, fully God. Okay, there's tension there, that, we're, that, we're, um, that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Okay, there's some tension there. Uh, this is one of those things, that there's, that there's tension there in, in our faith, and we need to hold on to that. And then finally this, live like God's got your back. Live like God's got your back. So what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like living with confidence that no matter what happens, uh, God will be in control and that he's bigger than the problems that we have. God is bigger than um, an election. He's bigger than a virus or any of a dozen things that get us worked up. 
And maybe what we need to do is, um, we, we challenge you to a media fast here. Uh, maybe what we need to do is stop just scrolling through the feed of all the doom and gloom. They call it doom scrolling. Have you heard this term? Maybe we need to stop doom scrolling for a bit and not get so worked up and live with the confidence. Um, I, I heard this phrase over the last year or so, that Christians should be a non-anxious presence in the world. And I love that. We should be the non-anxious people who live in an anxious world. This is historically how Christians have been. When the plagues came, the Christians were the non-anxious people that took care of the sick while, while the very anxious and fearful people ran to the hills to get away from them. Christians kept their heads while other peoples did not. We don't have to walk in fear. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not apolitical. I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, it's like the trendy thing right now to tell everybody to vote. Like, hey, vote. Go vote. Um, I'm in favor of voting. I'm not, I'm not saying don't do it. And, and, and I would have preferences of how I want things to work out. I want certain laws certain ways, and you would want certain laws certain way, and I would want certain people to, to rule in government and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I just think we can't walk in fear on this of whatever happens in an election and whatever happens with virus and, and these sorts of things. Um, I don't want to get sick. You don't either. I get that. I don't want to die. You, you don't want to do that either. Um, but, I, but, I, but I need to walk in faith and, and not fear and not give in to fear. So let, let me give you this final challenge. We're going to finish this series up next Sunday, and we're going to talk about grace. And it is, it is the, the needed thing in the world. In fact, that's what we're, ta- we're calling it. It's what the world needs now. Um, and we're going to talk about grace. And, and let me challenge you, if you are in the Richmond area, maybe you're watching online, uh, let me challenge you to join us in this room. A lot of people ask me, they're like, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't come to church on a Sunday in the bird since we started back up. I've been watching it at home. And that's good. I, I get that. Um, but they ask me, they're like, so what's it like there? I'm like, well, that's fine. It's okay, you know. I, well, from where I sit, it's like looking at little white signs. It's a, whole, a room of white signs, you know. Like, um, but I, I think what people don't understand is that this room holds 1,300 people. So you could put 400 in here, and there'd be plenty of room for people to spread out, right? And so there's room for you is what I'm saying. You can come here. It's safe. It's spread out. I think I can confidently say, from what we know about the virus and how it's transmitted and stuff like that, I think I could confidently say, you know, people are wearing masks here. There's some distance in, in place. If you're going to get the virus, which it, early on in March, they told us we were all going to get it eventually. So I guess if, it, it, if it's, it's coming for us, right? Um, but if you're going to get it, you're probably not going to get it in this room. There's just too much distance and, and, and too much spread out. So don't let that be a thing that has you afraid to not walk in, in the building. Like, we love you, and we want to see you. And I think it's important for the people of God to come together at, as a family and, 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 and to, to walk in faith and, and not fear. So let me just challenge you to join us next week as we wrap this series up and then we, as we look towards um, Advent and Christmas come in. Um, I think there's great times ahead. Um, and so let's, let's come together as a, as a family tomorrow night to pray and then next Sunday. Let's, let's pray now. God, thank you for uh, the truth in Scripture and that we can hold it in tension, that we don't need to resolve it perfectly and cleanly, but that... Uh, that, that, you, that you put it out there for us, that, that you are faithful, but that we, um, that, we, that we 
can, can walk away. And so, God, I, I pray for those of us who have thought about walking away or who are on some sort of edge of that now, I pray that we repent of the things, of the sins that are pulling us away from you and we turn towards you and we rekindle the love we had at first. God, help us as a community to come together in person, to, to gather, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to love one another um, as, as a family. God, uh, help our country as we walk into an election this week. Um, may we be the non-anxious people in the midst of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.